Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello there, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. Hello. What are you doing? Well, maybe I'm channeling one or both of our films that we're going to talk about today. Are you being Mr. Quirky indie cinema, Noah Baumbach kind of era thing? Are you doing the kind of whole staccato talking to the camera, but a little bit slowly? With an odd quirk here or there? I was actually being a zombie. Oh, clever. No, I wasn't. But I think it works for both, technically. <laughs> I, I think a good case could be made for both. Absolutely. But no, uh, we have got two exciting films to talk to you guys about this week. One of which is Callum's, one of Callum's favourite movies. Yes, definitely one of them. And one of which was a new movie we've watched this week that is uh, interesting, to say the least. Um we will unpack that later. The use of interesting there is very loaded. Well, I actually <laughs> don't think it is, but I don't want to spoil my review. No, but, of course not. But I think interesting is the word, and it has been a Marmite movie, so... It can be in a loaded term sometimes when people say, yes, it's very it's very interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> sometimes what it means is, oh, so you really hated it, but you admired its ambition. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, moving on from spoiling our um, movies and our movie reviews, I think it is time to, first off, plug the social media. Um, If you want to find the latest Callum Johnny news, go on to our Instagram, as that's the only one we seem to use really. Facebook a little bit. I think Facebook only by extension that anything we post on Instagram goes onto Facebook automatically. Absolutely. when we we will in the near new year one of our new year's resolutions is to post more content on there so if you've not subscribed subscribe and please interact with us and we may read your name out on the show it's all very exciting it is indeed um but we should now move on i think to something called the news not allowed not allowed so, Callum, uh, what is your first piece of news? Well, I suppose that the biggest one at the moment is that the Golden Globes literally just happened the night before. And lots of big wins. Of course, the Golden Globes is an indication of where the whole rest of the award season goes. And Johnny just held up a bit of paper to say that he, that was one of his choices. So, it is, uh, but I think it's a, a discussion we can have. It I is think. a longer discussion. Yeah. Because this is kind of this kind of gives you an idea, a look at how how the Golden Globes act. It's never a one for one, but it's a good indication of where the entire rest of the award ceremony from this point on is going to go. 
So the big winner was The Fablemans for Best Film Drama and The Banshees of Inner Sharon for Best Film Musical or Comedy. I saw Banshees um, took home a lot of awards and I was very pleased about that. Um, obviously, the interesting thing with the Golden Globes, I say interesting, I don't think the Golden Globes are that interesting, but um, is that they split comedy and drama into, or comedy slash musical and drama into two separate categories, which it's is... really silly. It is really silly, and because of that, you get some weird decisions and some weird... A, some weird um, engineering from the, from the film studios... Uh, I remember the Mar- whole thing around the Martian and the Martian... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> ...being put in as the best comedy. Best comedy, The Martian. Um, yes. Yeah, which was a, a peculiar decision, but one, because they probably knew it wasn't going to pick up any other awards that year. Maybe sci-fi, but not much else. Um, and so that... Uh, so you kind of get a weird thing with that, but also it means that some films do really well at the Golden Globes, in theory, and then they don't do that well at the Oscars because the Oscars are very... If it's a comedy, it's not good. Comedies can't be good. Is that your Winston Churchill? That is my um, Academy Award voter. (laughs) I'm going to vote Green Book as the best movie, kind of old, white, racist voter. Absolutely, and it tends to be if a comedy does get in, it's for Best Supporting Actor for the... Goofy comedy supporting actor nomination, yeah. or it might just about get into the ten. Now they're allowed ten best picture yes. nominations. It might one might scrape by the fingernails in. Or one of the screenplay nominations usually goes to a comedy. Yeah, I'm interested to see what goes on with the Banshees because I haven't seen it yet. I know you have. I know everyone I know who's seen it absolutely loves it. We probably will do an episode on it in the up and coming weeks, but I just haven't had a chance yet. Um, and Maybe, and I know it is a dark comedy, I would, would guess, from the trailer and from what I've seen about it, but it does feel like it could transcend being... I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. I'd love it to, probably. Uh, I probably will like it than whatever anal-gazing shite wins. I think it might be The Fablemans. I mean, it's Spielberg, it's his autobiography, it's set in the past, it's got a lot going for it. And the Oscars do love movie movies. Yes, absolutely, that too. Um, but it would be nice... Yeah, maybe Banshees would be a good winner as well. So we'll see what happens. I suspect maybe it'll get a nod. And uh, whether it'll get best a win. actress and best supporting actor seems pretty locked at the moment for everything, everywhere, all at once. So that's always which is also famous. exciting. What would you? What would you? Again, there's not a film I haven't seen that I should see. <laughs> um, what would you categorise it as genre-wise? I feel from the traders, it comes across a bit genre bending. Mm. It could be some slightly comic. It could be slightly so, sci-fi. You know that there are be... genres, right? Mm. No, that's the genre that. Uh, Everything, everywhere, all it's at once. Every genre, every everywhere, genre, all, at all at once. Okay, that makes sense. So either the Oscars are going to love it or hate it. I think they'll go for it. I think it's the right movie. It's the right quirky movie at the right time. And it has all, all the players are either overdue, like Michelle Yao, or there's a nice comeback story. The, the husband's played by an actor who was a quite a very famous uh, child star and then disappeared from Hollywood for 20 or so years. And now he's back, and they, they love that kind of story, like Jackie L. Haley and people like that. So it's got a lot going for it, a lot riding for it. Did you know who else had a good comeback story? Who? Pamela Anderson. Yes, she did. Oh. 
<laughs> this is a for anyone who doesn't know two seconds to realize this oh is a, an outtake joke from um parks and rec do and remember that <laughs> i've seen that clip and it took me a second to go oh yeah she did she she's in the news like, oh johnny <laughs> was it even pam anderson that they said on it but i think it was paris hilton in the clip. it might have been paris hilton Pamela Anderson possibly works better because she could go both ways because she has had a comeback story and I like Pamela Anderson. I've got yes. a lot of time for her. She she supports a lot of good causes. Anyway, one from my dad joke. Um, <laughs> my, well, it's probably my second piece of news because we kind of shared the first piece of news, um, is, and it's going to be followed probably by a rant, this piece of news, um, Inside Job, which was a... Animated, adult animated series on Netflix that was made by one of the somebody who worked on, I believe, um, Gravity Falls as like a writer and animator and stuff on it, and then went off and, and kind of created her own show, um, and it's kind of got quite a Gravity Fallsy visual art style about it. Um, First season, as often with Netflix stuff, released in two parts. The second part was trending internationally in the top ten for multiple days. Cancelled. Oh, it's too bad. Um, before it got to the second season, obviously cliffhanger, classic Netflix. This is where I kind of wanted to go into a bit of a rant. Um, Netflix and animation is a really weird thing. Um, they seem to have shows that are seemingly successful, and I, an animation as a whole tends to be it's certainly cheaper than like a Stranger Things or something, but it's cheaper than most, uh, you know, uh, most live action shows these days. It wasn't there was a time that was not true, but now live action shows tend to have, have ballooning, spiraling budgets and things. And animation, all animators are horrendously overworked and exhausted all the time, um, everywhere all at once. Um, and <laughs> they. Um, uh, also, you know, I've got kind of better workflows and different animation techniques and, you know, more of it is done digitally now, which speeds things up and speeds the colouring up, et cetera, et cetera. So why? Why did they cancel this after one season? Why don't they kind of let these things get an audience? And what rubs me up the really wrong way is they've got some absolute shit, <laughs> some really bad ones. There's one that's like, I think... Paradise PD. That's been on forever, it feels like. Fucking forever. And it looks awful. It's just terrible. Um, and well, they've just had a second season of New York Party Aunt, which I watched the first season. It's one of, of the one. worst things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and I'd never watched the second season for that reason. Um, I watched it because I quite like the lead actress. Um, voice actor but actress um, but it was awful it was fucking awful um, and yeah it's plenty of other really bad um, animated content on Netflix that seems to get season after season after season they've also seemed to have been fairly good with anime and kind of investing in anime I know anime is probably cheaper but they've been very good with that um, and what really annoys me is when they first started out they had Bojack Horseman which it I don't know anyone who watched it the first couple of seasons and then it kind of built an audience. It took a bit of time to build an audience but become a, became a really big, successful show for them. Um, and yet, they can't... They get these really good shows. They're really well-reviewed. And this does this tips into the um, 
live action stuff as well. It's really well reviewed, but it might be the kind of stuff that takes a little bit of effort or a little bit of time to grow an audience because I feel like with, unless it's kind of um, like front page fodder for them, it, you know, it does. But then a few people watch it and they tell someone else and they tell someone else. By the time the second season rolls around, then it's got a much bigger audience and it would be probably a successful show. Um, and Netflix just seem, and particularly they seem to be much quicker to to fire the shotgun with animated stuff than they do with um, with live action stuff. And just in general, Netflix as a whole, I just really feel like quality versus quantity is, is really dropping. Oh, I think so too. Um, Netflix used to be really good with quality when it first came out, and I understand that they went broader and tried to make more quantity but maybe if they spent a little bit more time when they find good shows heart you know developing them and trying to build an audience and just keep throwing stuff out and hoping some of it sticks um they would be more successful maybe they wouldn't waste so much money on absolute utter shite maybe um, people would stop abandoning netflix for better <laughs> streaming services there's a reason that they've you know had their first ever drop off in 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 subscribers because the quality is not there anymore there's quantity but there's not quality um and you know fair play to disney there's not much of the stuff that they've released it varies in quality but not much of it is an outright stinker so far yes i'd agree um and the same with apple there's a couple on there that aren't amazing but there's you know most of it is good to excellent um and Amazon, the stuff that's actually theirs that they make themselves, that's not just like bought in cheap, is usually good quality stuff. And Netflix just doesn't seem to have that anymore. They've got a few things like Wednesday was incredibly successful. It's a bit mid. If you ask me, it's good, but it's a bit mid. It's yeah, not it's, like it's fine. It's not fine. Have you watched it now? Yeah, I have now. It's not five star, but it is. It's fine, and I understand it's got mass market appeal, so that's good. Um, Stranger Things, season to season, the quality is. Roller coasted a little bit, but it is an overall good show. Um, the Crown, which is coming up to the end of its kind of um, its most recent run, um, well, it's going to be its last run. Oh, is it? The, it's very last. Yeah, yeah, because because it, it's coming up to now. Oh, it, so unless they start making unless they start making things up about the future, I wouldn't be surprised Harry if there was a prince, space. a prince Harry season. I don't think they. I think they've said it's too close for comfort. I think mm. it's going to go up to about Diana's death. Is about where it's going. Well, that go. seems fair. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, and so yeah, uh, I don't know where the point of this rant is going. But I was just really annoyed. I thought it was a good quality show. It seemed to be fairly successful. If it gets in the top ten in trending, to me, it wasn't that it was in the UK's top ten for a few days. It was in. I saw the creator posting about it on Twitter that it was in the US top ten for a couple of days. That to me, I would have thought yeah, strikes the show would give them a chance to at least do a second season if nothing more yeah and the other thing is with netflix so obviously they're very data driven but surely the surely the data is led by their marketing surely the data is not that good at feeding like working things out long term that surely their data can't really work out what's going to be a sleeper hit and what's not going to be a sleeper hit and so on so it could have come around to season two and more people watched the first, the, you know, the second half of the first season and the first season and went, I really enjoyed that. It kind of, it seemed to tick a lot of boxes as what a show should do. So, yeah, I'm just disappointed in Netflix because once again, they cancel something good and they leave a fucking ton of shit on the table See, constantly. What I'm thinking And spend of, like £20 billion pounds a year on making shitty content. Do you remember that scene in Futurama where 
uh, Hubert Farnsworth says, I have to go to the Angry Dome. <laughs> and then it's just a cutaway shot of him going, that's what I'm thinking of right now. Well, looking at you. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I have um, something a bit more fun and lighthearted. Okay. The composer, Michael Giacchino, who most recently did uh, The Batman and did Up and is one of the best composers working in Hollywood. He's oh, made... Did he work for Nirvana? Um, I don't think so. Maybe, I don't know. The Batman, obviously, they just shoot oh, constantly. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, I see. oh yeah, yeah. Every part of it. Yeah, but they, did you notice that they, that had been in, like, slow... They do the slow, orchestral version. version. But not just that, it was just slow orchestral versions woven into the music all the way through. Yeah, dum, dum, dum. Yeah. But uh, he's making oh. his directorial debut. Um, it's going to be a remake of the sci-fi classic Them, the one about giant ants. And actually, I wanted to talk about Michael Giacchino and related to uh, the Batman because something about it tickled me, but there was no news article. It was just something that tickled me that was related to Michael Giacchino while I was listening to the Batman soundtrack. But I said, well, there's no news article to tie it to. And then when it came out that he was doing this thing, directing the movie Them, I thought, yes, I can get to talk about the thing that amused me about Michael Giacchino and I can, relate, I can actually tie it to an actual news article. It's in the Batman soundtrack, talking about dad's jokes and, and bad puns, his titles are fucking ridiculous. Can't Fight City Halloween. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it's Raining Vengeance. Hallelujah. These, these are actual titles of his soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, well, you're just taking the piss. But I did think it was um, quite amusing. Um, there was another one... Highway to the anger zone. It wow. seems like he wow. is a he's he's a, a dad, and he got to make this really moody soundtrack, and he's giving them these cheesy titles. And I thought it was very amusing in a sort of dad's trying to make a bad joke sort of way. Wow, that is quite amusing. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it would lighten the mood a bit. Yeah, but anyway, Netflix fucking cunts, <laughs> but not amusing enough to distract. No, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, I think that very nicely, in a bow, ties up the news. I think so too. Uh, and we will now move on to the main part of our programme, only 17 minutes You don't want to talk in. about um, Netflix for another 40 minutes, do you? I'm sure I can find a way. <laughs> Neither of the movies this week are on Netflix, and I think that shows the quality of content not on Netflix. Well... Yes, I think I so. I actually... Oh, no, that's a lie, actually. No, no, a white noise. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That okay. is Netflix. Neither of the old films, neither of the old oh, films. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Um, or the old film. I've kind of, I feel like I've always given a spoiler away for next week's old film. We are recording two episodes back-to-back, -back, and I've just watched two of the old films back-to-back, -back, so that's where my confusion has come in. But if we sound confused, it's because we are. Well, always. Um, but yes. So, what two movies are we going to talk about this week? We're going to be talking about White Noise the newest Noah Baumbach film uh, just came out recently. It uh, mixes sci-fi and comedy and um, bends genres in order to be satirical. And we're going to be pairing it with 1978's Dawn of the Dead from George Romero, which also blends horror and, and uh, a bit of comedy and uh, satire to make a, a, a very... Amusing stew of a movie. And what do you? What? What are the reasons? What's the? I know that we kind of they're, they're satire, 
satire and bending, but what is the... There's a stronger line through the two, and what is that? that we, why have we picked them? It was really difficult to find a movie to pair with White Noise because it's sort of everything and nothing. So this the strongest link was... Uh, this one's on Amazon Prime. Want to do that? That is not the link. <laughs> I can't, I, the reason I wanted to link these two films was consumerism. Um, they're both very they tied are very to consumerism. They certainly they're are. both social commentaries on consumerism. <laughs> not that it's on Amazon Prime. There was a lot of bit of like, what should we do with this movie? Um, well, this no, one? It Maybe was, this one? We had about six or seven movies that we wanted to do. And all of... And this was one of the movies that first came into my head. But then I thought, I've seen it fairly recently, so I didn't really want to watch it again, but I did anyway. Um, but the, a lot of the other movies we wanted to pair it with just weren't available. They weren't available. Um, I kind of thought Soylent... Well, actually, no, I thought Soylent Green for the other for next week's movie. Um, I thought um, Virgin Suicides. I think Tonally is very similar. Um, and there's a few other things in it. Um, that are quite We looked for a few other Noah Baumbach films, but it didn't seem to be much exactly. available. So it was quite a hard one, just because, and again, this is a problem with streaming services, not getting, not caring about old content. It's very true. Fucking streaming it's services. Really true. I'm starting to hate them. I used to love streaming, and then they've kind calm, of, they've kind of calm, scorched earth calm. old content, and I can't find a lot of the movies I want to watch anymore. Amazon and Disney are two of the better ones, hence why the two old movies for the next two podcasts come off of them. Anyway. Um, Hush. <laughs> um, so, I will tell us, I'll tell our listeners, uh, I'll, I'll leave you to do, um, to do Dawn of the Dead, as it's one of your favourite films. Okay, thank you very um, much. And I will tell our listeners about White Noise. <laughs> I don't know how. Um, so, this is Noah Baumbach's newest movie. It starts off... A very schlobby-looking middle-aged um, uh, Kylo Ren. Adam Driver. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Kylo Ren. Um, after he's given up, you know, all of the sci-fi stuff uh, and moved back to Earth. Married with two kids. Two kids? Yes, three. Or four? Four kids? Four, because there's a younger one. There's a younger one. One which is his from a previous marriage, two which are his wife's from a previous marriage, one which they've had together who's very young. Um, he is a college lecturer who lectures on Hitler studies. Um, and then his life and his family's life is turned upside down by a train accident where uh, this chemical cloud comes out. And if you breathe in this, the toxic event, if you breathe in this toxic event, um, you will at some point in the future possibly die, but no one's quite sure. Uh, <laughs> it will shorten your life, probably. Um, it is based on a 1980s kind of social commentary book, and the book was said to be unfilmable because it jumps all over the place and is bipolar. Um, and the film kind of is too. But yeah, <laughs> what do you think, Callum? Tell me what you thought. I'm really gone into it after about the first third because when I when it when it first started playing, um, and I'd seen the trailer, and the trailer kind of played up the laughs a bit, as these movies often do, because yeah. it's a hard sell. It was sell. a weird trailer. Actually. It is a very hard sell. So they sold it like a Noah Baumbach slash Wes Anderson slash Sundance quirky comedy with a bit of sci-fi. You know, lots of whistling in the soundtracks and lots of kind of, hey, kids, we gotta get out of here. And for the first 20 minutes, some of my worst fears were a little bit confirmed when it opens with Don Cheadle as um, 
Kylo Ren's friend, another university professor, and he's dressed like he's in a Noah Baumbach film. And people who have seen the quirky comedies of the Sundance Film Festival will know exactly what I mean, tweed and big beard and all that kind of stuff. And he's talking about car crashes for what felt like about 10 minutes. Cut with clips of car crashes from old movies. From old movies. I actually can't remember much about that, but I zoned out. And for the first 20 minutes to about 25 minutes, I thought that my worst fears were being confirmed. But the, it's the everything with the bipolar stuff and how it does jump around from genre to genre, I really started to admire its gumption. It's... It, it's kind of fearlessness to just do whatever and kind of play around in different genres and have fun and flip around when they wanted to say something else they switched genres for another 20 minutes and then there's this whole thing later that comes around with his wife that I don't want to spoil too much because that leads more into the climax of the film and that film becomes a whole new genre it kind of gets a lot darker and a lot weirder and I appreciated that it did that. And because anyone who's listened to this podcast for long enough knows that I like my misfit toys of movies. I like it where a director takes a big swing and does something either unconventional or just something that doesn't really work. In But to me, it, it makes it a little bit more lovable. It's like that dog who's got the mangy fur and foaming at the mouth, but you still want to adopt. And it was that first 20 minutes were rough. But once the thing that really calmed me down was the first family interactions and they were all talking over each other and they were very intelligent, but not in a way that seems overly constructed and quirky, like, this is intelligent children. And I really appreciated that back and forth. And that's the thing that made me go, oh, okay, I think I get this movie now. And I really started to appreciate it. And Johnny, what did you think? Did you, were you similarly impressed? Yeah, I was. I kind of... I thought, the, the, again, similar to you, the first, like, 20, 30 minutes, I was like, here we go, this is... There was some stuff I liked in that 20, 30 minutes, but also I was a bit like, oh, is this going to feel long, this movie? And then it got going, and then it was... It, it worked, after, you know, after the point. I thought the last act also dragged a little bit, so classic me, I think they could have cut a slither at the start, <laughs> a slither at the end... And it would have, but the middle actually worked really well. Could have done without those fifteen minutes. Well, exactly. <laughs> the middle worked really, really well. Um, I really also visually loved it. I thought um, he did a really good job of showing, um, kind of making traffic jams look epic. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, you'll yeah. see when you watch it, but making traffic jams look epic, I think he did a really good job of that. I, I liked the set design, I liked the kind of the costume design and the clothing and the kind of 80s feel that everything had, but also kind of pastel 80s, quite colourful 80s, because there's obviously a couple of versions of it. Um, and how they kind of played that into some of the jokes, I liked how it worked with the... Um, uh, the what's the word the 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 kind of estate cars what they call it there's a certain word for it in America like but anyway estate cars whatever they are if you're American please tell us on our on write into us and tell us what we call them um, but the the, the the one the American ones always have that like fake wood on the side of them and stuff and oh, those paneling and yeah, stuff like that yeah and they all sit and they kind of talk with you. they were talking about those and like, oh they've they've got that model and they've got that model of car and they look sad and they look happy I'm just trying to gauge how worried I should feel and, <laughs> and that kind of thing I found quite funny so I they, I, laugh, I passed the belly laugh test 
I think it visually worked. And the other thing is, I really love the soundtrack. Um, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't take a lot if you're going to put an LCD sound system song in it, but the kind of ending scene and the ending, I mean, not to spoil the ending, but the ending scene and the ending credits, I loved how that that looked and worked. And um, yeah, so there was a lot to like about it. It was, it was a bit too long. It is a bit of a mess, but if the book is meant to be very much of a mess. He's did a very good job of filming the shit out of it, really. Seems to have been paired well. Yeah. I also liked how the satire was handled, because I'm not actually... A lot of people, when they talk about satire, they don't like being clonked over the head with it. I love being clonked over the head with the satire. I want my daddy filmmaker to get up on his soapbox and tell me the ills of man and society and etc. And I felt like, there, you know, it's not quite as blunt as the next film we're going to talk about. But I do like that, for example, they walk down an aisle in uh, the supermarket and the supermarket is this big recurring place that they go to. Don Cheadle, several points, wax is philosophical. Look at this place. It's magnificent. And I go, oh, yes, Noah, give me that. Give me that satire. Give me that big, heavy load of your satire in my face. Or where they're walking down the aisle and they pick up cans and it just says can on the side or chips and but stuff like that. The, the, but they're the whole, I mean, to go into another level of it, most of the stuff is branded in the shop and that's the kind of the, um, uh, the is the like own brand stuff, <laughs> isn't it, that I was meant to be. And then you look at the people that are in it and what their jobs are or what their, you know, ethnicity is and things like that. And obviously it's meant to show they're the less affluent people. And, and that, again, is another level of social stuff yes, on there. And it very much reminds me of Repo Man, which mm. does the same thing. Uh, lots of uh, cans like cola, just cola. And I, I think almost visually, maybe he took that cue from Alex Cox's Repo Man, which is similarly a blunt satire with sci-fi. Yeah, absolutely. So now it is, it, you know, it, I think the sci- I actually didn't think the satire was too on the head, on the, on the nose. And I think it was multi-layered. I think it was kind of layered a little bit out, a, a little bit about that kind of academic culture, which is maybe too navel-gazy and too talking about things and not doing. And there's the whole thing with Don Cheadle's kind of character in that. One of his lines, this is in the trailers, not giving too much away, one of his lines is there are, um, there are, Dyers and there are livers in life, and most people are dyers. <laughs> um, so, like when, when something like this happens, like some people go out and do and survive, and then others just kind of panic and do the wrong thing and die um, and stuff like that. And also, kind of the, the media and people know, you know, people having half a fact and kind of thinking they know everything based on that half a fact. And there, yeah, there's lots of quite smart levels of, of societal and things on it built into it but obviously as you say it kind of hinges around the supermarket and the um and the yeah and how that is kind of consumerist and and how that's what people really care seem to care about and which is where it ties in quite nicely with our next movie absolutely i also thought it was quite light-footed it, it um satire can often have a problem where they point a camera at the thing that we're supposed to be judging and next week, there'll be a film that we talk about, which is satirical, which I don't want to say too much, but light-footed is not a word I would use. <laughs> and in this film, it's very nimble. Noah Baumbach's a very visually interesting filmmaker. Um, at no point do you ever feel like it's slowing down, slogging through. Like, there's uh, one of the biggest um, laughs or fun moments is when the two academics are having an academic spar-off and the cameras are floating around them and sort of treating it like it's two gunslingers kind of facing each other down. And I thought, that's very cleverly shot. It, it, it's not just plonking the camera down, which I guarantee a lot of other filmmakers would have done. It's 
kind of moving around them. It's treating it like it's a boxing match almost. And I thought that was very fun. Lots of little moments like that, little touches. It did feel like for the first time, Noah was given like a, a bigger budget maybe. You know, the other, th- the other things he's done in the past are straight dramas, maybe cost 20, 30, 40 million dollars to make, depending on which actors and actresses were in them. Um, uh, whereas this, he probably had a considerably bigger budget to do some of the. I mean, I don't. It's not a huge budget, but you know, some of the more certainly more of a playground. Felt yeah. he was having fun. It felt like he got his toolbox out for the first yeah. time properly. Um, and yeah, and that I quite enjoyed that as well about it. But yeah, so no, that is our. Unless you've got any more to say, no, our no, review. I think uh, we've covered quite, it quite nicely. That's yeah. a lovely wrapped up review. And that is time for an advert break. And we're back. Did you miss us? I bet you did. Yeah. Um, go and buy whatever um, they were selling you. Or listen to whatever podcast they, they were selling to you. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, on to movie number two. Movie number two is Dawn of the Dead from 1978. Around ten years after Night of the Living Dead the debut film from director George Romero. This is his follow-up. And this takes place somewhat after the events of Night of the Living Dead. It's not specified exactly how long, but if Night of the Living Dead is the beginning, this is right in the middle of things. And it starts with a real mess. Uh, There's a couple of survivors. They're at a TV studio, and it's absolutely being picked apart. And they know that they have to get out. They have a friend with a helicopter and they need to pick up another friend of theirs as part of a military sort of SWAT unit. And along the way, the four survivors, the two military SWAT unit members and the two people from the TV studio, they try to find anywhere. They plan to go up north because they mentioned Canada being a good escape route. But on the way, they notice an abandoned shopping mall. And if this sounds familiar to everyone because this is one of the big zombie places to be in all of media, it's because this laid the blueprint for the survivors packed in a small place where they slowly get more irritated with one another, especially around a shopping mall. And Jonathan, Mr. Finn, what did you make of Dawn of the Dead? Because I know if I speak too soon, I'll just be go blah, 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 it's perfect. Yes, all right. <laughs> Love it when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have seen it before, of course. Not for quite... Well, it's not that long ago, I suppose. But I, um, I haven't, probably haven't seen it anywhere near as many times as you. I mean, how many no. times have you you've seen it? That's seven or eight, I guess. I think this was probably my third watch. I watched it once at university, once a few years back, and then once now. And if I wasn't watching for the podcast, would I have ever watched it again? Maybe. It's a very good movie. Um... But I think, as with anything, when you're a template and you're a trailblazer, there are, it's not perfect. I think it, and obviously, it wasn't particularly high budget, and that I think comes across as well. Um, but I think, I suppose it depends how you look at it. From a point of view of what it did, it's groundbreaking. From a story point of view, it's engaging. And I think, you know, two important things. Um, visually, there's some quite fun bits as well. There's some good flares, um, a few bits that, yeah, uh, yes, they, they, they do play around the camera. It doesn't stick in one place the whole time. I do enjoy the the, the kind of the faces of the monsters, oh, the monsters, the zombies, when they're, they're being filmed and stuff. 
But it does feel rough around the edges. It does feel chocker to know when it's too long, um, from coming from me. It was two hours, 20 minutes long on the theatrical cut that we mm-hmm. watched, and it's longer if you watch the other two cuts. Actually, no, the... Um, the agenda cut's shorter it by is. about three minutes. It is. And then the theatrical cut's about seven minutes longer. Um, I don't see where you need seven minutes. I do think it takes... I think it meanders around at certain points for too long. Um, but you can't deny the social commentary. Um, very, like you said, bonks you on the head a little bit in that, look at these people. They're remembering what they used to do. They seem to love this place. There are many times when George Romero's out, out comes the soapbox and like he's <laughs> wagging his finger at you. Yeah. And the governments and the scientists don't care about you and, and don't know what they're doing and if they've done these things earlier and so on. Um, and, and, yeah, I'm, I'm into that. I'm here for it. Um, I, I do think that the majority of the acting isn't great. Um, it, I mean, by the standards of 70s horror movie, they are good. Um, but by... I'd say they range from passable to quite good. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, the the dad from Keenan and Kel is very good. He's excellent. He's the best thing in it. And then it kind of sharply declines from there with, um, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, they, you know, there's no one that's lower than a two out of five, um, and there's definitely some threes, but nothing that, nothing to write home about. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, to wrap it up, it is a groundbreaking movie. <laughs> And anyone who's interested in film should watch it. It is suspenseful with an engaging storyline. It's got some clever social commentary in it. Beats the shit out of most zombie movies that are made these days that are just formulaic shite. Um, but rough around the edges. That's how. Yeah. So what, <laughs> what I feel is most impressive about this movie, I'd forgotten, and I forget every time I watch this, how unrelentingly bleak it is. And well, because they all kind of very early on realised that there's no end game. Really. Yeah, there's no end game. They're going to have to stick here for a while or keep moving forward. Mm. But and if I, they move forward, they don't really fancy their chances. Exactly. Um, and I had watched Day of the Dead more recently than Dawn of the Dead. And Day of the Dead, the overacting is ridiculous. It's people screaming at each other across rooms. So it's George Romero kind of cranked up to eleventy stupid to the point where mm. it's slipping into self-parody. What I like about this is just how underplayed it all is. Like, there's no big arguments, because this, I don't think it's necessarily the first film to do this, but it's one of the forebearers of the survivors trapped in a place, slowly losing their wick with one another. But many of the conversations are almost grunted or said under their breath, like um, when one of the characters, it's revealed that she's pregnant about three or four months, and he just says, do you want to abort it? Do you? I'm asking you. And it's like, it's unrelentingly unpleasant how they speak to each other and how they're losing their minds. And more to the point about the satire, when people talk about George Romero, they often have quite simplistic readings of things. They'll go, oh, Night of the Living Dead, that's the racism one. Dawn of the Dead, that's the consumerism one. And sure, those are two very important things about both movies. But it's more of a broad sweep of the 70s. Yeah. The uh, chaos in the new studios is like footage from Vietnam. Uh, 
uh, the look at the well, bikers. Particularly, particularly when they're all standing around, actually, when you've got the rednecks going out to try and yeah. shoot them, and that they are very reminiscent of Vietnam uh, imagery. Absolutely, like lots of guys going out in the forest with guns just shooting at people. It's like the invasion of, uh, of little the, villages. The army guys standing around in like a little village in front of a car, in kind of a green army car, having their photos taken next to each other. That is right out of Vietnam, like textbook. And so it's ripped right from the headlines, right from the pages. And I just like how I appreciate just how the stagnation, they don't look away from it and they don't overplay it and they don't overact it. And you were saying how the dad from Keenan McKell, whose name is uh, Ken Faree, how he is the best actor. There is something incredibly haunted about his performance. Mm -hmm. And it's quite underplayed. He just has these dead eyes but I also like how it starts mixing not necessarily genres but more moods of the 1970s so um, the Ken Faree character again comes not so long after movies like Superfly and Shaft so when he says things like um, did you lose some anybody some brothers street brothers or real brothers both or they wake up sucker we're thieves and we're bad guys so you can see little touches of everything that's going on at the time being plucked and kind of tied up or the way that the... Um, I like how they, he calls the helicopter pilot Flyboy. Flyboy. Yeah. <laughs> or, or how uh, Fran doesn't want to be treated like the den mother. So there's lots of things like uh, it wasn't so long after something like um, uh, The Stepford Wives. I almost forgot the name of the movie. So there's lots of like little touches, not necessarily that this is a feminist masterpiece or anything, but it's little touches from what was going on, how culture was moving forward. And also, when it comes to the ooey-gooey stuff, I like how that's almost exactly the opposite. Uh, The makeup, it's charitable to say, like you said, it's rough around the edges. And that's mostly seen in the makeup where the zombies are just painted blue. Mm. But... It's done by Tom Savini, who would go on to become one of the masters. And here, he's not yet a master. He's still learning his craft. But there's lots of little creative touches. Like, I would, um, in a way, say it's more realistic. Yeah. Because you don't... You know, obviously, there's many debates around zombies. Should they run? Should they not run? Should they, like, take a long time to turn? Should they... Do, blah, blah, blah. But realistically, like, I don't feel like having lots of boils and things on their faces is going to... is thingy anyway. Like, obviously, it's not particularly great blue, but... But people's skin going grey probably seems more like what probably expect is the first part of decomposition. Uh, decom- yeah. <laughs> um, and like little creative touches, like when they're doing a hole being blown out of a zombie's head, it's a coin painted behind a bit of putty that's tied to a string. And when it's time to blow his head off, just pull it, and this coin whips a little bit out of, and it has like a little orangey red blood mm. pack. And I like that this sort of the ooey gooey stuff is fun and playful and creative and the drama is bleak and unrelenting so it kind of gives you a little breather every now and again once you get tired of them sniping at each other and snapping at each other you get a little fun bit where it goes okay it's time to kind of push a zombie over and rub a um, pie in his face there's you know there's slapstick in there and i appreciate that yeah there is and yeah they do look like they're enjoying themselves at times when they're filming it, which is, I think, always good fun as well, which which kind of works well with the bleakness, like, them trying to find pockets of joy in this, like, hellscape. Yes. And that they seem to be having most fun when they're risking their lives as opposed to... And when they're, like, figuring things out. 
as opposed to when they're kind of locked away in their little lap of luxury. And again, which is again another level of, I say luxury, but their area they've kind of cocooned for themselves upstairs with the zombies that know they're there. They seem miserable in that place, but when they're running around trying to shoot the zombies in the head, they the seem like they're having great fun. The contrast is very... It's excellently played. Which is just like life, listeners. You've got to go out there and try things. Risk's tough. Make Seize a podcast. Seize the day, folks. Seize the day. Listen to Robin Williams. Yeah, exactly. But no, overall, I think it is a well-put-together um, movie. And it's where the concoction <laughs> works most, because Day of the Dead is about an hour and a half of people screaming at each other, where George Romero's going, do you get... That I'm, do you get what it is that I'm trying to say? You know, do you get? Do you get? Do you get that? And then go, yes, George, we do. Calm down. It, it's my fate. This it, Dawn of the Dead because I think it is. It's the best balanced of them. Is my even though there's bigger budgets and more slick later movies, it's my favourite of his of, of the of the Dead series. Is it yours? See, it, it's always a toss up between the bleakness of Dawn of the Dead and the um, springiness and the originality of Night of the Living Dead. Mm. But I think I'd just give the edge to Dawn. I think it's a little bit more important to the cultural scene that would come later, whereas Nights didn't really start anything except for George's career. Yeah. Dawn sets the blueprint out, and I think I'm going to give it to that. Yeah, I feel like with Dawn, it, it, with them, um, sorry, Night of, it's kind of, it's just a zombie movie. It's a very well put together zombie movie, but this... Kind of shows you what he was going to become in his social social commentary, etc. I don't think the later movies ever really. I don't think he ever managed to really top that. I have a soft spot for Land of the Dead, but I think I might be the only one who does. No, <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it actually. So it's <laughs> very a future episode. Unsubtle because um, George starts sympathising with the zombies really quickly, <laughs> and by the point of Land of the Dead, they are the goodies. Completely and totally. Well, there's there's pockets of it in in pockets of it here. In day, there's a zombie who's a main character who is a sympathetic character, but it's just a zombie. By Land of the Dead, we are cheering on the hordes to rip apart the consumerist humans who have locked themselves into their lap of luxury in this city. Get them, zombies! Get them! And there's even a line: "Leave them! Don't shoot them! They're just looking for a place to be." Just like us. That is George Romero, hats off. That's some um, unsubtle. Woo! <laughs> well, quite. I think that is, uh, brings our reviews to an end. So, first off, I'm going to ask you, Callum, what did you think of White Noise? I think I'm going to give it a seven because I felt like it really, when it once it picked up, it was really fun and playful, and I just found myself really going along with it. It's concoction, it's weird concoction of genres and tones. It was really pulling me by by the nose almost, but I liked being dragged by it. And I really appreciated everything it was doing. And I didn't expect that from the first 20 minutes. I guess it's lower, lowered expectations really helped me there because if I'd gone in more excited, I might not have been won over, but I really did like it after those rough 20 minutes. I was really, really excited by the trailer. I thought, I'd, and I'd read some reviews and things and seen it's very marmite. I'd seen some five stars. I've seen some, I don't know, I've seen any one stars, but I've seen some two stars and stuff. And I was like, I feel like I'm going to come down on the side of really liking this. I think that is where I think I'm going to come down. 
Um, and then I started to watch it, and like you, I was like, oh, actually, this could be a little <laughs> bit up its own arse. Um, and then after about 20 minutes, it got going, and I really enjoyed it, and yeah, I think it really worked, and I would give it a stamp of approval to watch. I was, I've been debating whether to give it a 7 or an 8, and I'm going to give it an 8 just because I've been listening to the LCD Sound System mm. New Body Rumba song all week, and I fucking love the last scene of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and if the whole movie was that, it would be a 10. Um, so, yeah, I am going to give it an 8. Fantastic. And, um, yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Well, I don't think it's going to surprise anyone. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. It's one of my favourite films. I love everything in its weird concoction. It's one of those films where, because of its budget, because of its, it's a B-movie... I find myself with the, the... There are some flaws. There are little rough around the edges moments. If anything, that makes it more appealing to me. Like, the moments where there's a few bad actors, usually the extras, saying, hey, guys, have you got a cigarette? Or that ridiculously racist SWAT team member oh, at the start. start yeah. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to get him. I'm going to kill him all. I thought, oh, my God, I love this. I know. <laughs> why, why are they in hotels? It's probably better than I got. Better, better than I got. And then, because that fun stuff and I don't think that was intentional but when the fun stuff either intentional or unintentional balances out quite perfectly the bleakness and it just is a film that's walking a tightrope the whole film and I feel it really goes all the way it's smart it's funny uh, it's satire is blunt but on point um, the acting you know wavers but the good acting is good and I just, I just love every moment about it. And it makes me want to say, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. I thought you were going to say that at some point in this podcast. Yeah, I had to get it in. I nearly, nearly did it to try and beat you, but I thought, <laughs> I'm not, I thought I'll let you have your moment. Um, yeah, fair enough. I don't like it as much as you do. Um, but I didn't I'm think so. not such a horror genre... Aficionado. I was going to say another word, but... <laughs> You can say that if you Snob. want. I wasn't going to say that either. Oh, no. I was going to say something far worse, but now we'll leave it at that. Um, but I do think it's one of the best zombie movies ever made. I do think it's a good social satire. I do really get into it when I watch it. I just wish it was a little bit shorter, 20 minutes. Take a 20 minute, make it a two-hour movie. Two-hour 20 is just that bit too long. Um, I do think... It's rough around the edges. I do think some of the acting is questionable, even from the main cast. Um, but, yeah. So I'm going to give it a... And again, this is another between a 7 or an 8. But I don't like the song at the end as much as I like the song at the end of White Noise. So I'm going to give it a 7. The song at the end is... I think that... It's time. That's the perfect song to play us out. So, bye. Actually, I haven't summed it up, I suppose. Have I? So, we're going to give White Noise a seven and a half, and we're going to give Dawn a eight and a half. Yes, yes, we are. <laughs>